Welcome to the Voices of Women Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Tatiana Resnik, a practicing physician and a certified life coach. You will hear about inspirational journeys and practical tips from amazing women physician experts, as well as effective coaching and steps to working Welcome everyone to this episode of Voices of Women Physicians podcast. And today we are back in our interview with Dr. Rachel Trellis. We spoke last time about artificial intelligence and what it can do. And today we will speak a little more about artificial intelligence and about starting your own health tech company. This is so interesting subject and this is such an amazing area. Welcome, Dr. Trellis. Thank you so much for having me. Please tell us a little bit about yourself or listeners who didn't hear our previous episode, just briefly. Of course. So my background is I was at Duke for their MD-PhD program, and I did my PhD in computer science focused on artificial intelligence methods development for medical applications. I got super excited about the intersection of AI and healthcare. And so I founded my company, Psydoc, currently working as the CEO of my company. And we're really excited about our first product, which is a smart patient intake form that helps save time on notes. Long term, we're building AI-powered electronic medical record. This is so awesome. It's really amazing. So let's start with speaking a little bit about your company. So if you can tell us about what exactly you do, what is the mission, and why is this new part needed? Sure. So the mission is to build a completely new electronic medical record that is intuitive, easy to use, and enables integrating AI in order to really leverage the full power of AI in healthcare. It's a topic that I'm super excited about because there are a lot of challenges with current electronic medical records, including that a lot of them are pretty difficult to use. And also there's this very large burden of administrative work that currently falls on physicians. So what I'm really excited about is the potential to automate a lot of these administrative things that doctors, in my opinion, really shouldn't have to do. Get all that automated AI so that doctors are spending way less time on the computer and have more of that time back for spending with their patients, having more free time, just taking all of this administrative stuff and taking it out of the equation with AI. And then also really excited about having intuitive user interfaces. So making sure that the software is something where it's easy to use, it makes sense, it's clean, and making sure that we avoid problems of 67 clicks to order Tylenol or any of the stuff that you can see in some of the current systems that are out there. And then in terms of our plan for this, so we're growing our software in stages. So the first stage of our software is a intake form that generates notes in order to help save time on note writing. And the way this works is that the patient will fill out the form before their appointment and the form will automatically ask them questions about the specific reason they're coming in. So a patient who's having trouble sleeping, they'll get completely different types of questions than someone who is coming in for a hypothyroidism follow-up. And then we'll take that Q&A data and turn it into to a generated note, specifically an HPI or subjective section. So that's available before the appointment starts. And the doctor can then have a streamlined appointment because there's not quite as many questions that need to be asked on the history taking side and also save time on the note writing side because there's a piece of this narrative portion of describing what's going on that's already been written beforehand. It is so wonderful. I seriously cannot wait until we actually have it in my hospital. It is wonderful. It will save so much time and all this endless typing for hours. All of us know it is wonderful. So now let's talk a little bit about starting your own health tech company. Where even start? 
Yes. So this is something where for more context about my background, when I started Psydoc, I had never previously started a company and I had no idea what I was doing. So I started Psydoc back in 2018 was when I first started planning everything out. And then 2019 was when I formally formed the entity. But basically that's the first step. So if you want to start your own company, there's the step you have to take with basically registering the company with your state to kind of legally make it exist. And there's a couple different ways of going about this, but I'll talk about just two options. So one option, is if initially you're planning not to take investments from angel investors or venture capitalists at the very outset. So if you're planning initially to do maybe grant funding or bootstrapping or some other mechanism, then you can form an LLC. And usually forming an LLC in a state is not too bad. So it depends on the state, but if you're forming it by yourself, it can be a really quick process, like just a couple pages and you file that and you're done. If you wanted to form a tech company where you were interested in getting investments from angel groups or venture capitalists early on, then a good option there is to form a Delaware C corporation. And basically that's because the state of Delaware has a lot of laws that are sort of favorable to corporations. So that's why there's a very large number of Delaware corporations. There's also an option if you are thinking about different phases of the company, you can also start as an LLC and then convert to a different type of entity later. And that's actually what ended up happening with my company. So Psydoc actually started out as a North Carolina LLC, I'm based in North Carolina, and then we converted it later on to a Delaware C corporation. So that's also an option. First step out of the gate is making an entity. Side question, what Psydoc means? Does it mean something? It's the name of company. Yeah, that's a great question. So we were going for cyber doctor or cyber documentation or some kind of pun like that. Makes sense. Oh, perfect. And what is a lean startup methodology? The Lean Startup methodology is super useful. I highly recommend it to anyone who's interested in starting a startup. And there's actually a book called The Lean Startup that I think is probably the best description out there of what it is. And essentially, there's multiple facets to it, but like one core part of the idea is that you should have your customers involved from essentially the very beginning. And you should have very quick iteration to try and figure out what exactly is it that's going to best solve a real meaningful problem for your customers. So a lot of times when people are starting a company, they have some idea that they're really excited about. And there's this kind of natural fear reflex where you think, oh, I had this great idea. I can't tell anyone because if I tell anyone, then they're going to steal my idea. And it's really helpful to get over this fear. And really when it comes down to it, there's a lot of work that goes into making an idea a reality. So people are not going to steal their idea and particularly not your potential customers. So it's really important to just get out there and whoever your potential customer is in the healthcare space, that could be doctors, it could be patients, it could be insurance companies, whoever the customer is, find a way to connect with them and show them maybe a wireframe. So a wireframe is basically like a fake website where you don't actually do any code, but you can get like a designer to work with you. It looks like a website and it's a way to get feedback, but you don't have to have lots of money spent on coding. So you can make like a wireframe and bring it to the potential customer and get feedback and start iterating. And that way, by having this really tight communication between your company and the potential customer, it means that you're going to build something that's really meaningful and really useful. So that's one element of this lean startup methodology. And I highly recommend the whole book for anyone who's interested. It's so interesting. And how do you find potential customers? That is a great question. So healthcare is kind of an interesting space because it's a focused topic area. So it's not as if you want to build like the next to-do list app or something that could potentially apply to anybody. But you're talking healthcare, that's more focused. So there's a couple different ways. One option is I always think starting with your existing network is a good place. So who are your existing colleagues and friends or even people that you knew 10 years ago? If any of them are within the umbrella of who your potential customer is, then it's a good idea to start talking with them. 
Another way of finding potential customers is through basically social networking. So in particular, I have enjoyed using LinkedIn in order to connect with Psydoc's potential customers. In our case, we're really focusing on private practice physicians currently at the moment. So doing LinkedIn networking and introduce yourself to people that way, that can be an effective way. Another thing that we've tried in terms of reaching private practices is just cold calling, but that can also work for other kinds of potential customers. So, you know, if you're talking about pharma companies or insurance companies or something, sometimes they'll have contact forms or phone numbers or really anything that's out there. You can submit something and try to make a connection. And over time, you can also potentially get references from one potential customer to the next. So maybe you develop some good relationship with a particular person and then they have a couple friends who are working in a similar career and can also talk with you. So there's definitely several different ways to go about it. I see. And now let's talk about building an MVP. Yes. So an MVP is the minimum viable product. And the idea behind an MVP is that you want to build something that could be useful for your customers and that they would be willing to buy, but also it's the smallest possible thing. So you don't want to go out there and build some extremely huge, complicated product that has lots of different features and lots of different ways it can be used. Because if you do all of that work and you build something that's really huge and complicated, then it's harder to iterate on it. And it also means it's going to take a lot more money and time before you can get it out in front of people and have people use it. So in order to build an MVP, a lot of times, I guess if I subdivide health tech startup into two general bubbles, there would be medical devices and software. And then I guess there should be a third bubble for pharmaceuticals. And the experience is really quite different depending on which of those bubbles you fall into. So if you're going to be doing anything with trying to develop a new drug, then that takes a lot of capital. You probably want to have a ton of investors. And the kind of timeline for that is also different because you have to get all these regulatory approvals. Similarly for medical devices, that includes also regulatory approvals in it and the aspects of physically having to source parts for the device and the actual manufacturing of it. So those have different elements. What I'm most familiar with because my company is a software MVP. So for a software MVP, a lot of times people will build out web applications or mobile applications and you can start with just the simplest possible concept and try to pin down what is the core of your idea and what is the first thing that we could create and get in front of people that we think they would be likely to use. And once you get it out there, then you can start this iterating process of making it better and better. It is so interesting. And now let's talk about writing and feeding patents. Sure. So patents are an important part of the overall intellectual property strategy of any startup. And writing them can be quite an intense process, depending on how much of it you want to write yourself versus how much you want to have a patent attorney write. And there's pros and cons to having different amounts of writing. Personally, for Psydoc, I ended up writing large chunks of the patent myself. And there were a couple of reasons for that. But one of them was that I had a lot of ideas and I like writing. So that was an efficient way to get everything out there was just me to write it directly. And then also it's more cost effective to write more of it yourself rather than having a patent attorney do most of the writing. But that being said, it is really important to have a patent attorney involved because there are several different parts to a patent structured in a particular way. And then in particular, the claims section, which comes towards the end, that's where you're essentially summarizing. These are the particular unique things that we want to patent. And it's important to be able to craft those carefully. So a patent attorney can really help in defining what it is that you should be including in your claims and how should phrase it in such a way that it works for what patent examiners expect. So I ended up working with a great patent attorney, part of Olive Law Group, and had a good experience there with filing the patent. So I recommend, first of all, when you have something that you want to patent, decide that you're going to patent it and write out some ideas and then connect with the patent attorney. And a lot of times they can start you off with a template that shows you this is the structure and this is the kind of information that we're going to include. 
And what is the time frame this patent? I remember when I was doing trademark for this podcast, it took like almost a year to get everything finalized. How long does it take this patent from the moment when you started until the moment when it's final? It can take a while. I can use Psyduck as an example. So we filed a provisional patent and a provisional patent is kind of like a, I don't necessarily want to use the term rough draft, but I can't think of a better word. So it's kind of like a rough draft. Basically you get the patent, you write it up, you send it in and it doesn't actually get looked at by a patent examiner, but the ideas that are in it and the description that you put in it gives you a start date for when you submitted the idea. So then in the meantime, you have a year where you can continue iterating on your idea, continue refining, and then you can submit a non provisional patent. And the non-provisional patent is what actually is going to get looked at by a patent examiner. So with us, we filed our provisional patents and then it was roughly a year later that we filed the non-provisional one. And then it took around three years actually <laughs> before the examiner got back with an office action. And there are ways to speed up that process. So if you have a startup that has oodles and oodles of funding, my understanding is that there are special kinds of fast track pathways that you can put your patent on if you're willing to pay quite a bit of money for it. But if you don't want to do that, you just want to wait for the regular timeline, then it can be around three to five years before the patent examiner will look at the patent. And then that kicks off a process of going back and forth with the patent examiner about nuances of what you're including in your claims and how your patent relates to prior patents that were filed. So right now, Psyduck is in the midst of that process. Oh, wow. And at what point, how early do you need to file it? At what point in your process when you do it? Yeah, so it depends. The point at which you need to file it is related to the point at which there's been public disclosures of the idea. So the best case scenario is that ideally, if you're going to file a patent, you just file it before you have publicly disclosed your idea. There is a window where if you have publicly disclosed an idea, like for example, it's in a research paper or something, there's a certain time window, like it starts a clock ticking. And if you don't file a patent quickly enough, then it actually becomes unpatentable because the idea has been made public. So really in abundance of caution, the easiest thing to do is just file a provisional patent before you've even publicly released anything. And then once you've filed the provisional patent, then you can go ahead and start launching all this stuff. I see. Makes sense. Yes, it's a great idea. And now I would like to hear a little bit about various AI projects you had been involved with, in addition to what we already discussed. Of course. So I've had the opportunity to work on a variety of really cool AI projects. One of the biggest ones was the main topic of my PhD thesis, and that was automated interpretation of chest CT scans using machine learning. And I will say I gained so much respect for radiologists working on this project because it is really, really hard to train models to do even a fraction of what radiologists do. So the first models that I created would predict yes or no, is this abnormality present for 83 different abnormalities? commonly seen in chest CT scans. And as part of that, I created a data set called the RAD chest CT data set, which at the time that I made it was the largest volumetric medical imaging data set for machine learning that had been reported. So I made that data set and that involved taking EHR data and doing lots of work to clean it. I also built a natural language processing system that could take the radiology reports and put them into the structure that was needed in order to train the computer vision model. And then I trained the computer vision model where you could give it a whole CT scan and then it would predict all these different abnormalities. And it was interesting because there were some abnormalities where the model did really well, and then there were some where it didn't do so well. So that was a very interesting process. Then I got super interested in explainable AI, and I developed this method called high res cam. And what high res cam does is it will highlight 
which piece of image the model was looking at when it made a particular prediction. And that's really, really helpful because sometimes machine learning models can cheat and you see the performance and it looks really good and you think that they're doing a good job, but actually they've just found some funny thing in the data that isn't really medically relevant, but they've fixated on it and they're using it to boost their performance. So there's a really great paper with chest x-rays where they looked at this model that was trained to predict pneumonia from chest x-rays and they discovered from using explainable AI techniques that it was actually looking at the little metal token that is placed on the patient to distinguish right from left. And it was looking at like post-processing artifacts that had to do with which specific x-ray machine was used to take the x-ray because it turns out their data set came from two different hospitals that had really different pneumonia prevalence. So the machine was able to figure out which hospital the patient got the x-ray at then that ended up correlating really strongly with whether they had pneumonia. So this model got really, really high performance. It was like 86 out of 100, but it was actually not using anything that was medically relevant. So I got super interested in explainable AI as this way to do these sanity checks on models and develop a new approach for helping to get more insight into what these kinds of models are doing. And then I've also had the chance to work on predicting whether a particular mutation will cause disease, building an AI system to play the word game codenames. If you've ever played that game before, it turned out to be a really interesting project has the game it actually requires a lot of sophisticated human abilities so that was a fun project and then i worked on some projects to predict patient outcomes from ehr data it is all so cool wow anything else you would like to share what could be helpful for our listeners about ai and about opening your own tech company any mistakes to avoid any lessons learned I think I would just want to say that if you're interested in starting your own health tech company, then you should go for it. And a lot of the different aspects of running a company are, in my opinion, things that it's very useful and feasible to learn along the way. So as things come up, you can gain experience with them. And before you know it, you will have gained a ton of experience and you'll also have been working on the company that whole time. So I'd say if you're interested in it, dive right in. There's tons of resources out there, tons of really great books and blogs and tons of people that you can connect with. So if any of you want to connect with me, you're welcome to contact me to talk more about how you can start your own company. And then in terms of AI, if you're interested in getting involved in AI projects, I would definitely encourage that too, because a lot of these machine learning research groups really love collaborating with physicians. You mentioned there are some books and blogs. If you could mention a few which you found the most helpful. Sure. So one that I mentioned is the Lean Startup. There's also a Harvard Business Review collection of essays. I believe it's called Entrepreneurship or something, Harvard Business Review, Book of Entrepreneurship. There's also Venture Deals. Venture Deals is an interesting one. If you're thinking about potentially getting into the venture capital side of things, that's a good one. There's one on my desk here. I actually haven't finished reading this one, so I'm only a little bit of the way through, but it's called The Business Model Navigator. And at least so far, it has been a very interesting book. It's all about different types of business models and it's meant to help you expand your conceptualization of how your company might be able to get revenue from what it is that you're building. So those are just a couple that come to mind, but really there's a lot out there. So it's really impressive the number of books on running a company that people have written. Sounds great. It is so awesome. I just wanted to say big thank you for coming to my podcast and for sharing because it is so cool what you're doing. I'm truly impressed. Thank you so much. And I will put in the show notes the way to contact you, Paul listeners who would like to contact. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you enjoyed it or found it helpful, please subscribe, leave a five-star review and share it with a friend. Have any topics you'd like covered? Send me an email at joyfulsuccessliving at gmail.com. Follow me 
on Facebook and Instagram to connect at Joyful Success Living. Have an amazing week. See you next time. The Voices of Women Physicians podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not provide any medical, financial, tax, legal, or psychological services or advice. You are responsible for your own well-being, decisions, and results. Dr. Resnik is a practicing physician, but Voices of Women Physicians podcast is not reflective of the opinion of her employer. You should always contact professional if you have any specific questions about your unique situation.